Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my co-host for the last 16 years we've been doing this podcast before podcasts became the rage. We know everybody's now got a podcast. But between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%, you know, whether that's themselves or the team that they lead or the organization that they lead. What are the few tips? What are the few tools? What are the few things that they could do a little differently? Or what are the few things that they could do a little more to be in that top 10%. It's a tipping point. You know, we know people who are in the top 10% just are more valuable to the organization. And, you know, over the years and the last couple of years, we've been talking about emotional intelligence. And Kathy and I have a book called Emotional Brilliance, How to Live a Stressless, Fearless Life, that you can go to www.emotionalbrilliance.com slash academy and get some of the free information. One of the things we have is an ebook about uh, 11 reasons why you need emotional intelligence. So, Kathy, welcome to the show. Why, thank you there, my best partner in the whole wide world. I am always excited to do these shows together, um, as we have been for as long as I can remember, and it is always such a blessing to be here. And today we have such a great guest, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. He's going to talk to us about his crossover from uh, being a medical expert into startups and uh, a little bit about how to leverage people and technology in this expanding and disruptive market that we are all living in, which you and I call VUCA in our books and in our publications, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. But before we get into welcoming our guests, I just want to make sure that you know all our listeners um, are up to speed on you know what we're all about. And... You know, we are about ready to go into, uh, I don't want to scare everybody, but what looks like, you know, a a pretty, uh, I'll just say, you know, financial um, recession. And with that said, what we do know about humans are they tend to be loyal to their work, but not necessarily loyal to people. And I think really in some of our work on the power of empathy, um, we talk about Gallup's work on the fact that in, um, in 2021, 4.5 million people walked off the job. And it's an incredibly challenging time for leaders today because 2022, we saw the quiet quitting. And we are now at a point where coaches are going to be asked to do more with less and our ability to leverage empathy during people development for more retention and productivity is more important than ever before. As you like to say, the tsunami of emotions are upon us. So, you know, we are so blessed to be able to share our years of experience. I think collectively we've got at least 100 <laughs> between us. I hate to say that. But, um, you know, we have so much to offer at the Emotional Brilliance Academy uh, for folks beyond the 11 reasons why you need emotional intelligence. But more important, we have so many tools and and wonderful things that people can use to get better. So please, all of you who are listening, go get your um, emotional brilliance on at www.emotionalbrilliance.com backslash academy. And you'll find also some direction there to some really special goods some of my bonus goods, and we're here to help you. And with that, Relly, why don't we introduce our guest? <clears throat> okay, good. I'll jump in here. So we mentioned Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari is the CEO at E7 Health. We'll hear more about that. It's a, uh, he's a medical expert. He's a physician with specialties in internal pulmonary and critical care medicine. And with that background, he has launched multiple innovative startups leveraging people as you had mentioned, Kathy, and technology, and expands but also disrupts traditional uh, markets. So we'll kind of see what is he doing that may disrupt these traditional markets. 
markets while focusing on the importance of growing a corporate culture. And that always is one of the themes, you know, for our listeners. How do we develop that uh, culture that empowers and innovates? So we'll learn how Dr. Bakhtari thinks about emotional intelligence as a building block for building uh, business success, as well as key elements during the periods of innovation when all members of the organization and their talent are critical for a sustainable innovation. And so aside from leadership development news, he's been featured across media outlets, including Martha Stewart, Barron's, Forbes, Shape, The Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Health Digest, and U.S. Today. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a big honor. Thank you both. Well, we're, we're really excited to talk to you about how you see uh, our focus um, in the world on emotional intelligence leveraging as a, if you will, a building block for all the wonderful things that you've been doing in your career. But we always like to start out with one key question, Jonathan, and that is what has influenced you to be the best you um, that you are now leading um, your way, you know, through the world and others with this work that you're doing. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and who's influenced you in your life. Well, um, you know, I, you know, I'm sort of the, the child of first, you know, first generation immigrants and I kind of grew up, uh, in a very traditional home. Uh, you know, we, we had modest means, but, uh, you know, my dad obviously and mom, uh, were big influences on me, you know, as immigrants, <clears throat> you know, they, they knew the value of, uh, just not only working hard, but doing the right thing. Um, and I think growing up in that milieu, uh, it just, it didn't seem like there was any other way to do it. So, and then along the way, of course, I've had, you know, I've, I've sought out mentors and have been lucky enough to find the right mentor, hopefully in the right time in my life, which has really just given me the extra push even, you know, after they weren't, after my, you know, I wasn't in my parents' home and got off to college and medical school. I was very, very lucky to... Uh, just have the right people who continue that line of thought, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, Kathy and I have worked with physicians. I have a, I have a book with some co-authors called <laughs> Physician Burnout. And I just know I'm so uh, in awe of your profession and the dedication the passion that I know, you know, physicians have had just to get through med school and the people that I've coached who are physicians, you know, the incredible passion for the patients doing everything and anything. Um, so have you always been interested in in medicine or how did you get involved in that? Your, were your parents yeah, interested yeah. in that? Yeah. Yeah, my dad was a doctor and, you know, obviously oh. um, watch, watching him, you know, uh, after he immigrated this country, you know, he kind of went back and got all the certifications and it was a rough road, but he eventually practiced medicine, practiced medicine again and, you know, kind of grew up in that environment. So really just watching him, his friends that would, you know, come to the house and their perspective on things made it, made it really easy to visualize, you know, uh, being in the medical career. Although, to, uh, credit to my dad, uh, he never pushed me or even brought it up. A uh, classic example of just leading by you know leading by example you know just living that you know living that uh, career and then your kids kind of pick up on it. Yeah, it, it's funny. It sounds like your dad had some special skills there in the emotional intelligence area because as we see with many people who have to start over in an environment where they didn't necessarily grow up. They have to get to know their environment very quickly. So when you look when you look at your career, um, look at your dad mm -hmm. as a role model and all the wonderful people who've mentored you, and you just think about aspects of emotional intelligence in general, can you think about how it supported your success directly or indirectly and maybe provide some examples? Yeah, I think the best way that, I, especially early in my career, that it impacted me <clears throat> is I, I think it was, now, maybe I didn't verbalize it back then, but I, you know, I didn't equate just competence as the key to success. 
I think a lot of young people, and this is what I try to mentor people in my organization, you know, competence and, and even integrity are, of course, needed and whatever, but you got to kind of lead and come out with empathy and caring about others out of the gate, you know. So I think, mm. you know, early in my career, it became, you know, just because you could get straight A's through med school and, and you know, pass everything during residency and fellowship, uh, that wasn't going to cut it. You had to, you know, to be able to relate to people, understand what their perspective is, their emotions, your, and, you know, line up your emotions with them and then calibrate how you dealt with people based on who you were dealing with. Uh, so competence alone, just because you're a great doctor and, you know, you, you know the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and you know what test to order, it's not going to be enough. Yep. Oh, definitely. We know bedside manners a lot to do with both being a good doctor and a good CEO. Yes, definitely. And, and, and also just how you relate to colleagues, too, and how you really re- relate to people who are, you know, working underneath you. Oh, yeah. And so maybe, Jonathan, maybe say a little bit more, you know, about kind of that aspect of relating to colleagues and in your court and the people who are coordinators. I know working with physicians, and this is a, an interesting dichotomy, all uh, so passionate about the patient but sometimes hardcore critical to people who may not be giving the same kind of care. And it's an interesting dichotomy. You know, people that I've coached are saying, how come you don't treat your colleagues like you treat the patient? You, you know how to do it. <laughs> I'm just curious why you're not doing that with these people. Have you come, have you come across that? <clears throat> I have. And, I, you know, I'm not sure how credible that really is when you feel the way feel the layers behind, because I hear what you're saying. I think what, what you're describing is, you know, people who wrap themselves around the patient advocate flag. You know, I, I'm a patient advocate, so yes. anything yes. I do or say can be excused, uh, which, yeah, I, I'm not, but I, I think that's just a smokescreen. I, I, I don't think, I mean, I want to, whatever, but I, I wonder when people say, okay, I'm a, I'm a patient advocate, so... Uh, you know, uh, my manners and how I right. deal with others doesn't. Does I think that's a smokescreen for maybe having that kind of personality to begin with. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I was a medical director. You know, for seven hospitals, and I was a medical director wow. of a Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. So I dealt with doctors, many great, 99 percent, amazing. But the few times that you know there were issues, you know, uh, where where things weren't going well, uh, you know. Uh, this whole I'm a patient advocate thing, yeah, of course it's true, yeah. but often I think it's a smokescreen for uh-huh. other potential issues. Does that make sense or uh, am I, yeah. am it I does. too far? It does, and it's funny because you're talking about Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, so I was one of the Accenture partners that helped create that merger um, when uh, when Anthem uh, came out of uh, the Midwest there. So. Uh, probably have some connections here. We may have even met at some point in our careers. But what I find really interesting, Jonathan, is um, how we use technology and the beliefs that we all have around technologies, just like Relly was talking about, our beliefs around our colleagues and how we do our work. Um, When you look at the way our relationships go hand in hand with technology, sometimes we can make them better and sometimes we can make them worse. I'm right now involved in a, a, a project called Magnus Works, which is an app for law enforcement that takes away the stigma of needing support, needing assistance, especially any kind of well-being support, especially in this environment. So it's an advocacy mm-hmm. app, right? You need help. Here's some assessments. You take them. It's anonymous, and it gives you help. Tell me a little bit about your beliefs around what you've been doing with technology and how it has increased relationships in a way that allows people to be better at their jobs, whether they're in the healthcare market or in the business world. Right, right. Well, that's that's also a you know a a, a dichotomy because you know um, I know I. I there were some studies last year, and I, I did it on my podcast where we, where we reviewed these studies, which showed that you know 80% of, of primary care visits 
uh, the physician or healthcare provider staring at a computer. So this is the dangers of, of how technology might work against you because, you know, if you're going to see your doctor and 80% of the time he's staring at a computer screen for valid reasons, of course, but, you know, that that's not connecting mm. or, you know, saying eye to eye and having conversations. So, so what we try to do at, what we try to do at E7 Health, let me just interrupt you for a second because you, you didn't get this, but we're going to have to go go to a commercial. But we do want to hear this. That's why you know, we want to hear it in its entirety. So let's come back, and we'll come right back to kind of what you're doing sure. at uh, E7 Health. And you're listening to Leadership Development News. Come right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech. Like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. You can reach him at Bakhtari, MD at e7health.com, and we were just talking about technology and how it gets in the way of our relationships sometimes, Jonathan. You were saying that 80% of primary care physicians are staring at their computer screens, which doesn't make for good relationships. All of us have been <laughs> have been witness to that mm-hmm. ourselves. If we've had a doctor's appointment recently or a Zoom appointment with a doctor recently, tell us a little bit more about that and what you think can be done. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think the goal of technology, of course, is to get rid of stuff so you can have an actual relationship, whether it's a healthcare or you're seeing your, you know, accountant or whatever. The whole idea is we we're, we need to leverage technology so we can focus on human interaction, uh, understanding each other better, uh, and not just, you know, clicking away at, uh, and typing stuff. So... This concept that we're going to get technology to improve things doesn't mean just improve the process. It's got to improve human relationships. And so uh, I know when we all go see our doctor, we, we you know, it, we'd pay extra to have him just sit there and, you know, put his hands on his knees, lean forward, and just make eye contact for the whole visit. 
Uh, I mean, that's that's the goal. That would be ideal, right? So um, we have to look at technology and say, now, now, how can we get technology so we can get closer to that goal? Not just process, you know, insurance payments and, you know, fill in forms that uh, somebody else needs. You know, how, what can we do to get to technology so you can walk out of your, whether it's your doctor's visit or any visit with your banker, whatever, where you feel like you've had a human interaction uh, and you, they understand you better and you understand them better. That, that is definitely something all of us are, are absolutely pining for these days. Right. I know, Jonathan, right. from some of the work that we've been we've been working with in regards to some big healthcare uh, groups across the, the, the nation, really training some of the physicians uh, to use coaching skills for other physicians. And it, a lot of it kind of is a takeoff of the, you know, the patient experience. And I remember seeing some of the research, I'm sure you're well familiar with this, the average physician interrupts the patient you know, in about 16 seconds. And then some ridiculous amount, only like one out of 50 patients ever go back to the the physician and say, okay, like I was saying, let me just finish like I was saying. Um, how, are, how are you folks dealing with that? And maybe say a little bit about e-health, you know, uh, how does that all yeah. fit into using technology for, for more of that face-to-face contact? That's a great question. So what we did is we actually uh, focused our prime directive on creating technology. Right. We have a whole development team. That we're really actually a technology company masquerading as a healthcare company. We focus oh. on that a lot. And the, and the reason for that is because what we are trying to do is remove friction in the patient's or the client's interaction with us as well as my staff's interaction with them. So they spend the bulk of the time on the actual interaction. So it's very doable, but you have to understand that you can't do it unless you tell your software people who are not in the room when this happens that the goal is for the the client, the patient, and the staff to have as little to do as possible with the inputting of the paperwork and what have you, mm-hmm. things that, you know, uh, patients can fill in ahead of time, things that could auto-populate, and only okay. the bare minimum that is needed. Uh, and it can be done, but it has to be the focus of your technology. Um, I think a lot of technologies, their focus is maximal reimbursement or, you know, that meeting guidelines, which is all wonderful. But at the exclusion of, you know, what can we do so uh, the two people involved can have an interaction. So, um, and getting to your earlier point, uh, um, you know, I always tell my staff, I always teach, I was, a, I'm a prof- I was a professor in medical school, so I have residents, interns. You know, I always tell them, you know, uh-huh. before the patients, there's an old, there's an old thing, but they, you know, before the patients uh, decide, uh, you know, uh, about what you're saying, they, they, they decide what, what they think of you. And if you understand right. that going into it, just blurting out something that may or may not be accurate is not the way. That they're looking at your body language. Are you focused on them? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you trying to understand? Are you interrupting them? Are you understanding them? So you could have yeah. the same message but get two different responses uh, depending on what they thought of you before you gave them <laughs> Well, I, I cannot tell you as a patient who's just gone through a year's worth of, uh, of breast cancer surgery and and, uh, and treatments that, in fact, I changed my doctor the first time I went to see them. They were highly recommended to me. And that experience, as you just described, Jonathan, was the number one reason I sought a whole other team. And it took me longer to get my surgery, but I was happier. So when you think about two key emotional intelligence experiences in your career as somebody who's building high tech and helping others to use it as a driving force for good, can you give us a couple of examples of EI um, that have been kind of behind a passion or an innovation that you have uh, been you know, basically responsible for in the marketplace you're serving? Well, I think, you know, 
To be very frank with you, uh, when earlier in my career, I, I, I don't know if I had some of these skill sets. Uh, what I think happens to most of us as we're, you know, because no one gives us a course in this, certainly in medical school or even if you're in business. But I think what happens is you start to understand, you know, yourself what it is that you would want mm. if the roles were reversed. So, uh, and I and I think, I think being on the receiving side of you know having people mentor me and kind of guide me, and I look to the people that I was attracted to. And I was only attracted to people who I thought genuinely cared about me, right? Not necessarily just the message that they were saying or just the mentoring they were giving me. So my experiences early on were like, you know, who who do I gravitate towards, right? Mm-hmm. Who gets my attention? And then the question really becomes, you know, if that's what I'm looking for, right, as I'm yeah. growing and developing don't I want to don't I want to be that person when it's my turn to mentor or guide other people or communicate with other people so um, you know one of the things I loved about some of my mentors is um, you know you would you would never know that they were in the power position right you would never ever even though they were uh, you know just because you're in the power position should mean nothing to how you communicate and how you relate, mm. right? And at the oh, end okay. of the day, if you know you can be the boss, or you, but uh, you know, my staff often teases me that I always get them to kind of come up with what I wanted them to come up with, instead of me telling them to do <laughs> something. Yeah. So I would you know, kind of give them the situation. And say, well, what do you think we should do? I already know. I think I have an idea of what we should do, but I don't come out and say it. I just give them the circumstances. Right. Okay, we have this, this, this. You know, given all this, where should we go? And so, believe it or not, nine out of ten times, they kind of come yeah. up with what you were going to like mandate to them, right? So, um, so I think it's, it's that. So, Jonathan, that is so good. I mean, Kathy and I, you know, we we train coaches. Both of us are in the faculty of a coaching school, and you get people who are super smart and they want to give their ideas. And what you just said beautifully, most of the time, not all the time, <clears throat> you got smart right. people below you. And if you can get right. them to come up with, they're going to be more committed to their own idea than the boss's idea. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, oh, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I'm saying, you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head because. If 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 the if the plan goes south, you know, right. it, it's 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 a different reaction when they were part of the they were the ones that suggested yeah. it. You know, they're more likely to yeah. pivot and make it work versus if right. you kind of shoved it down someone's throat. The first the first bump in the road, see, uh, we knew it wasn't going to work. Versus if it's their idea, you know, they pivot, yeah. they they finagle, they they push, they Broad, yep. because you know the, the, was partly that they own it, and if you can make yep. Think, yep. people around you own it, uh, they're going to yeah. react differently to the first bump in the road. Well, that that's what you're talking about as far we... as empathy. Yeah, I was going to say, Kathy, that's what we're talking about as far as engagement. You know, the things yes. you talk about culture. Um, you know, yes. sometimes it's called discretionary effort. Go ahead, Kathy. No, no, I was just thinking about, you know, the the interview question for Jonathan around sharing some of his insights on innovation and culture, you know, working together with what we would call emotional intelligence for a successful outcome. You know, you're talking about in your new podcast, if I can share with our audience, your podcast is called Bakhtari MD, B-A-K-T-A-R-I-M-D. You can find it on YouTube, Spotify, all podcast outlets. And you're featuring this year, you know, being a CEO, um, I would call it the CEO of you, right? But, but when you think about that, right, and you think about the, the kind of innovation and culture that have to go hand in hand for these folks to be successful, you know, Jonathan, you have a world of experience. And I, I'd love to know more about what you see 
in this role of CEO and how EI plays into that. Right. Um, well, I, I think the, the the real problem is, you know, when people, someone becomes a CEO, especially if it's their startup or they, they innovated it, so they have the idea. That doesn't necessarily make them a good CEO or a great leader per se, right? So I think so if you get thrust in that role where you're the CEO because you came up with a great idea or however you got there, I think you need to understand that leading people and getting them to buy in and get enrolled into your vision of what you want the company to do, you know, is not going to just happen because the company has a great idea. You know, they really need to believe in you and what they're looking for is are you do you have integrity uh, and are you the right kind of person? Are you putting the same effort? And do you really care about them? You know, is your role just to impact the bottom line or is your role really to improve their lives? And if you, you know, I tell fellow CEOs, if you wake up every morning and say, my job is to improve the lives of everyone that works with me. And it, and out of this, if we have a great idea and great execution, we're going to do well financially. But you got to start off with, you know, wake up in the morning and say, what can I do to improve the lives of all the people who are, who are giving me giving me and the company so much. And and if you start with that, I think everything else kind of starts to fall into place. That's beautiful. Um, you know, Kathy and I talk about uh, from a leadership standpoint, what's more accessible in your mind is more probable in action. And I think what you're saying is you're trying to plant that seed. This is what should be accessible in your mind. How do I improve the lives of of the people that I work with. How does that relate? Because it sounds like you've been, you know, involved with a lot of startups. And I think because of the financial investment, the selling of the idea, that may not be the first things in their mind. Maybe say a little bit about, you know, startups and what you look for, you know, in people who are are creating those startups. Right. Um, well, you know, uh, if you, if you randomly go to let's say Silicon Valley, where you know there's lots of startups every day, you know not majority of them don't succeed, right? The vast majority of startups, even in Silicon Valley, fail. And my my argument is, the ones that fail don't necessarily fail because they had a bad idea, right? Mm. So and some of the ones that succeed maybe were not that great of an idea. The question is, what is the secret sauce? And I'm going to make the argument that the secret sauce is the emotional buy-in of the initial four or five people in the garage or metaphorically, whatever you want to call that. You know, um, so execution, commitment, uh, being enrolled in the vision, maybe even more important. I bet you there are ideas which are, let's say, B-level B ideas or C-level ideas, mm. but have an A-team. Okay, and I bet you they're more likely to succeed uh, and go out to actually become a real company after their startup phase than people who have the best idea. You know, I don't know if Uber was the best idea in the world. It certainly turned out that way. But would it have gone that way if the initial three, four, five people who were huddled in a, you know, some broken down office somewhere, you know, had that commitment and that dedication and the passion? So you take all of that out, the best idea can fail. Uh, so uh, my argument would be if you don't have a team that's going to execute and they're only going to execute is if, if they're happy with who they're working with, if they're enrolled into the vision, if they feel like they're being taken seriously, the human being and understood and, you know, their issues are factored into everything, you know, then you're going to you really maximize your mm. chances for success. Right. Well, absolutely. So when we think about um, some of these uh, skills and you're talking about, you know, these building CEOs in, in this second year of your podcast, is that right, Jonathan? Right. Right. It's our second season. Yeah. 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 Tell us what you're, you're, you're focusing on there. 
Yeah, so I, I think I think people become CEOs often by accident. Again, I'm not talking about Fortune 500 companies, you know, who will seek out and vet a real CEO. But for the small to mid-sized CEOs, often they get in that position because their idea anyway. So just because you came up with the idea doesn't necessarily make you the great CEO. So I think there are certain skill sets you need to manage mm-hmm. other people that, you know, some are intuitive, some are not, you know. And sometimes people think, well, I'm so smart, you know, I, I went to Stanford, but of course I make a great CEO. Or they say, oh, people like me, right? So people like me, so I'm going to make a great CEO. But, you know, if you view becoming a leader as requiring skills, skill sets, uh, then you have to go ahead and acquire those skill sets. You know, you can take the smartest person in the world and put him in the cockpit of a 747 and and ask them to land the plane. They're not going to land the plane because they're smart, and they're not going to be able to land the plane because people like them. No, exactly. And we're going to have to go to a quick break, so hold that thought. And what what I'd like to come back to uh, after the break is some of these EI talents that we know make up a core of some of these fundamentals for CEOs And um, as I said, we'll talk about them when we come back, but I agree with you a thousand percent. I put a 24-month max on a startup CEO, and we can talk about that as well, because in my experience working with startup CEOs of any kind of organization, they have a certain skill set that is great for a startup, but isn't necessarily good for long-term growth. We'll be right back. Mm. You're listening to Leadership Development News. Don't go away. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Icy Tech, like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job, the ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. He has uh, his podcast, 
that we mentioned earlier, Bakhtari, B-A-K-T-A-R-I-M-D, which you can find on YouTube. And Jonathan, before the break, we were talking about your second season that you're going to be working with CEOs and some of the skills that they need. We were talking about during the break, we kind of talked about some of these emotional intelligence skills, but what are you, what are you looking for in CEOs or what do you want to let them know that the skills that they should have uh, to be successful? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, I think uh, there's many, many things that people are, may not be prepared for when they get in that role. I would say that, you know, the number one and sometimes number one, number three, but top, one of the top ones is your staff and the people you're leading are going to try to gauge your level of commitment. And by level of commitment, mm. I don't mean necessarily working more than 40 hours a week, but I, you, you, there's this thing I call always being on, okay? And if you're not always on and your staff picks up on that, uh, it's probably not mm. going to work. And by, by always being on, I don't mean like working nights and weekends, but you know, if something crashes on a Sunday and you can't be found, uh, that's probably not going to send the right message. Uh, you know, yeah. if there's an urgent email that comes in at 5:01 and you don't you don't pick it up till the next day, uh, you know, you're probably going to send the wrong message. So, I, I, and I hesitate to say that because I think sometimes people say, "Oh, wow, you, you say I got to work 80 hours a week." No, 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 not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, Maybe initially, whatever. But the question, is, are you always on? I mean, is this important to you? Uh, I love this email right. that people send off like, you know, I'll be away next week with limited access to my email. Like, where in the world are you going that has limited access to email? Like, <laughs> you, you, are you going to the Amazon, like in some deep forest? I mean, I've been to the whole world. There, there's no place without Internet. So I think what, what mess, like when I get that response, when I send an email and says, uh, I'm going to be off next week with limited access to, you know, whatever. Like, really? That's, <laughs> now, that's okay if you're just the rank and file. But if you're the CEO and you give, and I'm yeah. using that as just an example of not always being on. So I think yeah. your staff looks to you and says, hey, is this guy or girl, is he all in? Because if yeah. he's asking me to be all in, yeah. is he all in or she all in? Does that make sense? Um, so I, I think if you can't go into it like that or if it's not the right time of your life to be all yeah. in, it's going to minimize your chances. So, I'm just I'm so laughing Jonathan. because I'm just laughing because, Jonathan, before we get into the next question, I have to be really honest. So we just created avatars. Uh, they're AI-generated avatars that will do that for us. So if you are emailing me and I'm not available, you're going to get my avatar. He's going to pop up and say, hi, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I will be happy to take your message. Please leave it here and I'll get back to you at my earliest convenience. So I'm doing the same thing using AI, but without using the words, I'm not available. (laughs) I use technology to make this work any way we want, right? And it gets to navigating relationships, right? If you want to navigate relationships with people, whether they're your vendors, your suppliers, uh, your business partners, your patients, um, you know, obviously this is, you know, a hotbed for what we talk about in the emotional intelligence world. But give us your CEO maybe fundamentals on on navigating relationships. you know, as a CEO, you really have to understand that you cannot, if you want to say the same thing to five different people who are in your organization, you have to understand you can't necessarily say it exactly the same way to five different people. You, you know, part of emotional intelligence is understanding how to calibrate what you want to say. You can say the same thing five different ways to five different people. Uh, and get the right response. But if you say it the same way to all five people, you may actually get different responses that, and something you may not be happy with. Because you, if you, if you just blurt out what you gotta say, and it is what it is, and, you know, we're gonna have to go do this, and we're gonna go in this direction, 
you know, some people need more buy-in. Some people want to be more involved in the decision. Some people want to have, uh, you know, a buffer of time before they absorb it. If you can't calibrate what you're trying to accomplish right. based on the people you're working with, it's not going to have a happy ending. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about that all the time and kind of reading your audience. And, you know, one of the things why I think with working with CEOs, there is research. The more power you have, usually the less empathy you have. There's kind of this inverse relationship like, you know, I know what's going on. I've been there. I've done this. And so I think you're elevating the empathy of, you know, what's, what does that person want? Um, let me just mention this one thing from what you said earlier. Always on. And, uh, you know, so that was about being available. And I would also add, how do you make always at your best? Because I think if you're mm. not always, if you're not always at your best, that gets into what Kat is talking about, we're talking about is that wellness. If you're not always at your best, you're burnout, you're irritable, um, you're impatient with people. I think that would be, you know, kind of a nice add-on to the always-on, always at your best, which then opens up a whole world of what does that mean for people. Maybe you can make well, a little you know, comment on that, it, and we'll go to our yeah, next I mean, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but getting burnt out often means that you're doing the bulk of the work because if this works properly, okay, you can you can empower people to do the work that needs to be done right. while you focus on having the satellite perspective of the company or organization and move the ball forward in meaningful ways. So, you know, the, 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 the whole idea is you're not necessarily in the trenches, you know, uh, right. getting in the nitty-gritty versus you're having meetings about how you can merge your organization with another organization or how you can get a new vendor on board. And, you know, and so if you're not, if you do your job well and you empower people to handle things that don't necessarily need you every step of the way, that frees you up to really move the ball forward for the whole organization and improve their lives. You get a new contract, you get a new vendor, you know, that's going to improve all their lives. They're going to get raises, the revenue is going to go up, whatever. So it's not a win if you're in the trenches uh, just you know, moving, moving the nuts and bolts necessarily. It, you may be able to help them more by letting them do what they, they're hired to do and trained to do while you move the ball forward for the whole organization. Jonathan, as, as you're talking here about all these wonderful things that we need to do and recognizing that doing them is harder than we think. And, and in our experience, Riley and I have worked with many, many companies and hundreds of people around the world on these skill sets, which people think are pretty easy just because they have an idea or because they have money to invest in an idea. And, you know, the listening to understand the, um, the ability to accelerate, excuse me, accelerate growth and create a thriving, productive culture for employees has some, some pretty um, important content to it. Can you share maybe some of your perspective on what that looks like before we start to wind down the show here? Can you reword that question? Because I want to make sure I give you the right answer. You bet. How to create, how do you create in your experience what you've seen going on? A thriving, productive culture where accelerating growth occurs because people are listening and understanding each other. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or how smart you have, there are other skills that are necessary to create that. Well, you know, the one thing I never really addressed earlier on is this whole idea is if you're a leader um, and you want a thriving culture like you're su suggesting, is you have to invest time in mentoring. You know, uh, I think if you talk to some of my senior staff, what they will tell you is um, that especially in their first year or two as they were working their self into leadership, I spent hours with them often, you know, uh, like every week, every day sometimes, and, you know, being there for them. I think the whole idea of, well, I hired a new person to, you know, manage HR, you know, you just meet with them. But no, if, if you're involved in, 
you know, hold their hands and be involved with them for the first six to 12 months and mentor them. And, and you know, like, just like some of the suggestions we've talked about in this show, you can impart some of that, but you can't impart it in a 30-minute introductory meeting and then leave them alone for a year. You know, I mean, yeah. imparting this means to do it, you know, drip, drip, drip over time. And if you don't have the bandwidth to mentor your key people, you are. It's, it's going to be a very hard road to because those key people then go on to build the culture. You're not going to be at every meeting. You're not going to be interacting with everybody. So if you can mentor your top people to have the vision you have and have the empathy you have, it will get passed on hopefully. Mm-hmm. So I think this concept of I'm just. I have empathy, blah, blah, blah. But you now have to invest time, right? And not just have one meeting when they're hired uh, and then meet with them every, you know, right. for a half hour. You may you may have to literally say, hey, you know, come into my office. Tell me what's going on today. Uh, I, um, you know, how, how did that go? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Do, uh, do you want my input on, you know, how that could have, you know, we could have done that differently? And, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that had to be done. But if you want those people to then go on to impact other people, um, you know, we had a great book that we have all our uh, senior staff and our, all our staff read. It's called uh, Tribal Leadership. And this whole idea is, you know, don't tell me how good you are. Tell me how good you're making other people, right? Because Super. No, that, that's, that's really the magic there. I just want to make sure the audience hears that they can reach you at BakhtariMD at e7health.com, that they can watch you on your podcast, BakhtariMD, on any of the podcast outlets. And Rella, you want to bring us to a close? And thank you, yeah. Jonathan, for all oh, your yeah. genuine wisdom today. Oh, thank yeah, you. Jonathan, it was a lot of fun. Great. Thank you. This has been great. You can just hear the empathy in your voice. I mentioned this at the start of the show. And I think for any of our leaders, you know, this trust is so important. You can hear it with Jonathan happens in, in seconds, you know, and hopefully you're developing that, those aspects for yourself. So you've been listening to Leadership Development News and continue to tune in to tune up your performance. Thank you, folks. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.